Hey guys, I just got this bait from Treacherous Tony. It tastes pretty nasty, but I look cool with it, right? You guys should give it a try. Be cool like me. Nah, you look pretty stupid. And if you get caught with that thing, you're gonna be in big, big trouble. Besides, I heard Treacherous Tony is that lame guy who likes to come around and hang around little kids. If you're hanging with him, you must be lame too. Come on guys, let's get out of here before we get in trouble like Cooper too. <coughs> oh no, Sergeant, be safe. You kids get out of here. Cooper, tell me where you got that from. I won't snitch. <laughs> I don't see what's so funny. Vape pens like that can lead to harder drugs and cause more problems for you. They're not appropriate for little kids such as yourself. So I suggest you do the right thing and tell me who you got it from. Treacherous Tony gave it to me. Tristan, <clears throat> I want you to take me there now. Are you? Yes, I'm Treacherous Tony. What do you want? Do you have a card? And why are you selling this to kids? Yeah, I got a medical marijuana card. I don't sell it to kids. I give it to them. You give it to them? What kind of an adult are you? It's a vape pen. What's the big deal? Are you kidding me? The big deal? Get out of here, Sergeant No Safe. Sometimes I just wanna. Yep, I think I will. All right, all right, all right, I give up. I won't do it again. That's right, you won't. You're off to jail. Put your hands up and come with me. Remember kids, what's made for adults aren't suitable for kids. Those vape pens may look cool, but they are not good for you. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Oh no, Sergeant, be safe. <laughs> Subscribe now. There we go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Black and Blue, the podcast that focuses on law enforcement throughout the nation and throughout the world now because we are starting to expand. 
talk about experiences and trainings and situations dealing with rookies, seasoned, and uh, retirees, anyone in the law enforcement community. And we have a lot of fun doing it. So make sure you guys get your questions ready. We've been going, coming up on the one year anniversary as of this month for this particular podcast. You know, most of you guys transitioned from the lab where we used to highlight people with uh, uh, businesses, products, and positive messages. Now we highlight individuals in the law enforcement arena and we're having a lot of fun doing it. So thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you guys get those likes in. I appreciate those likes. Hit the like button on your way in. Get your questions ready. We're streaming on five different platforms right now. We're on two platforms on Facebook. We're on two platforms on YouTube and we are on one in LinkedIn. So any if you're on here, I can't see if you're on here unless you comment. So make sure you get those comments, order your questions ready so I can give you the shout out that you deserve. All right. I'm Coach Clee. I'm your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author and your favorite baker's favorite baker. And we're having a lot of fun today. We're in the lab. Tell everyone to get their pen and their pad. I got a special guest. I'll introduce them in a minute, but we got to get those uh, the sponsors out there. One sponsor, and you, you see the, our, our guest now currently is affiliated with um, Brandon uh, Griffith. And he was on here maybe three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Uh, and we got a, 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 he's a director in his nonprofit as well. And in the comment section, we have his .com. Make sure his website, make sure you guys check that out. Not right now, but after the show. So you guys can learn more. You guys can glean from that. Also, workwithclee.com is in the comment section. You see it scrolling below. You'll see that if you're interested in being a guest on the show, can reach out that way you're looking forward to having one way publishing to write your own book remember you can write the chapter of your own life one way publishing is a book publishing company that claims that they can turn a mere thought into a book that's bought and i use it myself to write a couple of my books they also have a few other clients that have come through too and if you're looking to do that that is perfect they're a sponsor of sergeant be safe the cartoon skit that you saw in the beginning and we'll have cartoon interludes but right now we got to give a shout out to uh one way publishing stay tuned this is from sergeant B Welcome to One Way Publishing. I'm Sergeant B. Safe, and over there you see Captain Chaos with the K9 Kraken. One Way Publishing has great deals, so we're over here typing up our own books. Everyone has a story to tell, and who better to write the story of your life than you? Even if it's a fiction make-believe book, it can still get done. Here at One Way Publishing, they pride themselves on turning a mere thought into a book that's bought. So Kraken, what do you think about that? Just imagine going to the bookstore and seeing the book that you wrote on the shelves. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Make sure you check out the website, workwithlee.com. Right, and there you go. Make sure you guys check that out as, as soon as you can. All right. Like I said, I'm Coach Clee. I'm your host right now. Got a special guest. We do go live weekly. We go live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when we go live with the guests. Right now we have Tim Floyd right in the background. He is a tactical, he's a tactical medic. He's a SWAT operator. He's a helo uh, medic and rescue medic as well. He's also a director with Griffith Blue Heart. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant B. Safe is going to introduce him or give him a warm welcome, and we're going to get out of the intro phase, and we're going to jump right into the meat and potatoes of this interview. I'm looking forward to getting into that, just like I know you guys are as well. Hello, this is Sergeant B. Safe, and I want to welcome all you viewers and our very special guest to Black and Blue. So get your questions ready and enjoy the show. And that should be enough for the commercials for at least the next 10 or 15 minutes. All right. We're going to jump right into this interview. I'm going to bring him to the stage right now. Tim, are you here? 
I am. Tim, thank you for being available tonight. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm kind of humbled to be here. I, I was sitting here listening to some of the other people you've had speak. Obviously, I know Brandon and I know Chris really well, and they've got some really cool stories. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't really have any one cool story that defines me, but I guess I have a bunch of little ones. So hopefully I won't bore people with my, my little stories. I seriously doubt you'll bore anyone. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's start it off with a little bit of foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, one of the reasons why I'm on here this evening is um, the director of training for Griffith Blue Heart. You guys met Brandon mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Brandon and I became friends um, through the Buckeye Police Department when he was a patrol officer there and I was one of their SWAT medics doing some of their training. And obviously Brandon had his event um, and mm -hmm. we kept in touch and um, he's, you know, kind of ridden his coattails as he started his nonprofit. But um, going back before that, I guess um, if I had to describe myself, I'm, I've been a lifelong uh, medical, um, uh, like lover of medicine, and, and I started off as an EMT back in the mid '90s, and I figured that wasn't enough, so I wanted to become a paramedic. And once I saw what uh, helicopter paramedics did, I'm like, oh no, that's what I want to do because that was even cooler than being a paramedic. And then I said, well, um, I, I ended up in a very fortunate situation where I was able to be um, a part of a SWAT team, two different SWAT teams, as a matter of fact. And I realized that you know, one of the most important things you can do with knowledge and, and skill and experience is share it with others. Because um, when you look at when things go wrong, you know, you look at some of the, the mass uh, casualty events that are out there, if it's just mm -hmm. one or two people who have a lot of skill that are responding, they're overwhelmed and they can't do their best job. So I started looking at um, different ways to be, to find more force multipliers, to find more people who can do some of the simple things, uh, maybe things that are a little bit uncomfortable for them, but um, you know, you can train them to be a little more comfortable. And that way, when people really need like the highest level of help, um, uh, that, that way that resource is still available. So um, I, I, like I said, I've been a paramedic for all, almost 25 years. I've been flying mm -hmm. on medical helicopters for about 15 and I've been um, a SWAT medic for about 15 years as well. Wow. And you said that you don't think you're that interesting. Who who can actually go into work and say that they fly helicopters and, and are a medic as well? That's like a double whammy. That's, I mean, that sounds like a G.I. Joe character to say the least. I mean, that's not <laughs> interesting at all. <laughs> I, I feel like I've just been uh, fortunate to be in the right place at the right times so and meet those people and and with those blessings, you know, I try and pay it forward. So I get the opportunity to speak to like nursing students and EMT and mm -hmm. paramedic students and tell them a little bit about my career path. Because of course, you know, I'm fortunate if they think my job is pretty cool too. Because um, the analogy that I, I use um, for flight medicine is when uh, a well-trained paramedic needs help getting a patient somewhere, they have to call for assistance. And it's like, who's the 911 to the 911? Um, so I'm like, well, it's it's a lot of uh, responsibility and, and it's a lot of training, but uh, I hope I can inspire somebody to, to take my seat in the helicopter when I've, I've gotten too tired or, or too old or too broken or too sore uh, or just, you know, I need a day off um, because mm -hmm. that, that service has to be available for everybody. It's not always, uh, I know I'm not always there and I, I hope that um, an equally well-trained um, and passionate person is available to take care of my friends or family or your friends and family um, should should an emergency arise. Gotcha. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense because the uh, last thing you want is for burnout to happen and, and then the, uh, what is that? the feeling of regret because you feel like you could have done something however you weren't available or there at the time or having the right personnel in place. Yeah, I kind of figured that out um, a while ago. I started off teaching first aid and CPR to just mm -hmm. people who wanted classes. Um, and my father actually said, hey, son, I started this company. I want you to come in and teach first aid and CPR to my employees. And I'm like, all right, I can do that, you know, and kind of negotiated, you know, even though I had free room and board for several years <laughs> growing up. Um, but I go in and I start teaching them to, the signs to recognize a heart attack. and what to do if somebody's bleeding from an injury and how to do CPR. And um, ironically, I was going through medic school and this was back in the time of pagers. I get this page and I didn't think anything of it. Um, I'd actually gotten done with my 
clinical rotation that day early and I went to the driving range to just hit golf balls for a stress relief. And I get this page and I don't think anything of it and I check it later and it was my dad who was telling me um, that he was going to the hospital with chest pain. And I'm like, oh crap, right? Like I didn't know that I would teach my own father to recognize his own wow. heart attack, right? So uh, I figured, oh wait, this is the way that I can be off duty but still be helping people is if I help teach people with my experience and the knowledge that I gain from different realms and share it with others, mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm being a force multiplier. And even when I'm off duty, hopefully I'm helping somebody else save somebody's life. Absolutely. We got a comment from Phil. He's saying that's an, that's an impressive resume, Tim. Thank you for your service. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. So what actually gave you the burning desire to actually want to get into the medical field and then be a tactical on, on SWAT teams and being a director? I, I mean, did, did is that something that hit uh, when you were younger? Did that happen maybe in your teenage years or were, were you in your 20s when you actually decided this is what I want to do? I think in high school, I wanted to become a doctor and then I get into college and I'm like, God, this is boring and it's a lot of work before you actually get to the point where you're helping people. So mm -hmm. I, I became an EMT uh, while I was in college and I'm like, hey, this is kind of fun. And how I had that direct interaction and I'm, I'm there. I'm um, in people's right. living rooms, I'm on the side of the road and I realized that I'm an adrenaline junkie. Like I like the adventure, I like the unpredictability of it. And I was like, well, I wanna be the best person that I can be. And especially when um, I was on my very first uh, call where a helicopter crew landed to take a patient out. Um, wow. It was a small rural county in Ohio where it was like a volunteer ambulance service. And I remember this vividly. And it's like it's like angels descending from above in their helicopter. <laughs> and then they take patients out and um, they, they save their lives. I'm like, that's just cool. So um, I had to bust my hump. I wanted to be you know the best medic. So I you know took all the classes that I could. Um, applied myself. I got a lot of different work experience and I realized that um, like traditional hospital positions weren't for me. Like working on a med surge unit was very boring and routine. Like I've got to do something that's unpredictable. So um, I get a full-time job on an ambulance service and there's a third, third party service, a county run service. And I, I guess my enthusiasm and my uh, clinical skill impressed one of the guys that was managing uh, the, the county run service, who was also a full-time deputy sheriff. And he's like, hey, okay. we want to start up this SWAT team again, because they had one that had gone defunct several years prior. So mm -hmm. um, he kind of developed me underneath his wing. His name was Hugh Dick. Um, unfortunate name, but a great guy. He's passed on since then. Um, but he got me um, interested in, in tactical medicine. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, this, is, this is cool. And yeah. it was at that time um, that I realized that I've never really been like EMTs and paramedics and firefighters and, and um, most police officers, they respond after an emergency has happened. We, we can't prevent it. Um, but then being a SWAT medic, you're sometimes there when it does happen and being able to mm. affect that care and, and recognizing the, um, the bravery and the, the, um, the lack of it's not that they don't have, I mean, we're, we're all scared when you know we're knocking on right. the door or serving a warrant right. or whatever, but the, the lack of selfishness um, when these guys and gals are willing to put themselves in harm's way to help other mm -hmm. people, um, maybe people who, who don't want that help, maybe people who don't um, understand that they're there to help, um, and what that means like all the way back behind them, because it's not just that your brother or sister standing beside you uh, and or you standing behind them, you know, guarding their six, but it's it's their family members. Um, and like I realized this several years later at like an awards ceremony, and I had everybody's wife, like they all wanted to introduce me to their wives and to their spouses and their kids. And I'm like, well, okay. And then it dawned on me, on me, it's like they are willing to um, do what they do and take those risks because they have that comfort that I'm there and that they know I will do whatever I can do to save their life um, mm -hmm. and I'm doing it now. Now it meant even more, you know, I'm meeting their wives I'm meeting their kids. We're hanging out together. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm teaching their kids CPR and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this is where like, you really have that extended family, that extra group of people outside of your, your blood 
that mm -hmm. you can go to with anything and that you lean on um, even outside of work. You know, that was the thing. Like, um, mm -hmm. I, I realized when I started, I make the joke and I apologize if anybody's going through a hard time, but I didn't become a professional rescuer until I went through my divorce uh, in 2016. And the thing was, my brothers and sisters were there for me and they, they had my back, they checked on me, they offered me shelter, um, all sorts of things. And it was, even though I'd lost a lot from my personal life, I still had that professional life and I still um, had that, that resource and, and that comfort and that compassion and that companionship. So um, they, yeah. they were there for me and, and, you know, it's that thing that's kind of kept me involved. And then it's like, how do I keep helping them? Well, I, I keep learning, I keep putting myself out there, I keep um, learning something else from somebody else because I, I wasn't born with all the tools and my toolbox um, keeps, you know, keeps growing, which is awesome because now I know what to do with um, all these tools. And then I share my tools with other people and let them figure out what tool works best for them. So um, I, that's just kind of how I um, still have the passion to, to help my, my brothers and sisters to, to help the public, to share my knowledge, to, to see them um, with that confidence to know that, hey, even if Tim's not here, you know, we've trained a lot of other people. My brother's been trained by Tim. My sister beside me has been trained by Tim. And we're going to do the best we can um, to, you know, to, to help each other out. And we're going to get out. We're going to get through this. We're going to get out of this, you know. Right. That's got to be a great feeling, you know, to actually see uh, the brothers and sisters in, 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 on the job and then meet their families and, ha and their children and have their children come up and meet them. And, you, you know, you're making an impact there. And then not even knowing that you're you, when you go through the tragedy of a divorce. I mean, that's a loss in itself. It's a it's a game changer and a way of life changer. Trust me, I understand um, where they go through that and actually have a, a different level of support coming back. It, it really hits home to let you know what your uh, purpose is and to kind of double down and, and refocus. Yeah, the, the impact that you've had on others lives, which you, you don't realize it in the moment. But when they when that something bad happens to you and people are, are there for you, you're like, oh, OK, I, I guess I, I was doing something for, for other people and they, you know, appreciated it. So. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How difficult was it to learn how to fly a helicopter? That's well, like another path in itself. I, I, I sit in the back as the paramedic. Uh, I sit in the back and I take care of the patient. Um, I've watched my pilots do it for 15 years, right? And um, gotcha. I, I would love to get some stick time at some point. Maybe we'll be safe and start in a simulator. But um, I, I've got a lot of respect for them because uh, I, I make the joke that even though I have a nurse partner that we're in the helicopter and we're taking care of one patient at a time, um, if I have a bad day and my nurse partner has a bad day, the patient might not live, um, or some patients don't live even on our best days, but um, you know, it's only one person. But if that helicopter pilot has a bad day, it's the four of us and anybody else on the ground that, so I've got a lot of love for those guys and gals. Um, I joke, you know, when I do the presentation because everybody asks me, hey, you know, does, do you get to fly? I'm like, no, I don't, but I'd love to. Um, and they're like, well, what does the pilot do? I'm like, he just flies. Like he doesn't even know how to spell CPR. He doesn't know what an AED is. Like, I just want him or her to be completely focused on that because if the, if the pilot has a bad day, it becomes my, ba my bad day by proxy. But um, it's very cool to watch them do it because it takes a lot of coordination. So if there's any drummers out there who can do things with both hands and both feet at the same time, um, that's what it takes to be a helicopter pilot to, to balance all wow. of the physics. Um, you've got two pedals and two, hand, or like two um, sticks that you're controlling at the same time to make the thing go straight or to make it go faster or slower, make it fly higher, lower, and to do like their cool little pivot turns and stuff like that. So, um, but you know, everybody asks, why don't you become a pilot? I'm like, cause then I wouldn't be able to help the patient. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what it boils down to for me. I, um, I kind of like being in that situation where uh, I'm trying to bring light and, and um, some hope to a patient's worst day because most of the time, like mm -hmm. nine out of 10 times when somebody's getting into my helicopter, it is the worst day of their life. Right. Um, they, most, I don't get repeat offenders. I don't get to fly the same person twice because they're usually very critical and, and that usually only happens to you once. Uh, right. So, um, you know, I, I, I like being there for that one person 
Um, so much respect for my helicopter pilots that I, I get to fly with and that I've flown with in the past too. Gotcha. So can you share with us some of your experiences on uh, flying on the scene and having to help out um, some of the traumatic uh, patients that you, you have to deal with? Yeah, I mean, there, there's always those, those calls, those critical incidents that evoke a lot of strong emotions. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. really understand those things until I became a father. And, you know, like for me, I'd seen a lot of blood and guts and, and maybe I watched too many horror movies growing up. So it didn't bother me when I really saw it. And I, at least early on, when I saw those calls um, that were kind of disturbing, I found, I found a way to detach afterwards. Um, and just mm -hmm. remember the, my mantra is always, it's not my emergency, it's their emergency. So like, it, it's sometimes cold and callous, but I realized I'm here to help um, make the emergency better and not make it worse by getting too caught up in my emotions at the time. But, but there's always like those kid calls, um, especially as a father that, that are kind of traumatic. And I, I've had, you know, kids that, that choked on food when my kids were about the same age. And I worked the kid. Um, we flew the kid into the hospital. And as soon as we transferred care, I, I asked my partner, like, are you okay? And did I do okay? And they said, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, can I get a few minutes? And they're like, all right. And the next thing I do is I, I go outside and I call my then spouse just to say, hey, are the kids okay, right? Because that's all that I really wanted to do. That's all I really wanted to know. And that's because, I mean, it was like looking at um, my child of the same age. So that was really hard. And those things, you know, still come back. And you know, we all talk about post-traumatic stress and, and stuff like that. But I, I don't dwell on those because there's also been a lot more kids that I've helped that... Uh, were very sick and they, they lived, they got to the hospital, they survived. Maybe they had some um, morbidity where they, they weren't a hundred percent, but at least they're there to make new experiences and stuff like that. Um, I think some of the harder calls for me is when you look at, at some situations where people should have walked away from their event, but they, they mm -hmm. stay dead. Right. And you, and that's so frustrating because like, you have seatbelts, you have airbags, you have crash cages, and you're like, they should have lived, but for whatever reason, they, they didn't. And then you see other things where people should have died and they're walking away. And and that's not for me yeah. to judge whether they, you know, we make the jokes about drunk drivers and how they go limp and that they're, they kill other people, but they're never hurt because they're passed out at the wheel. And I realized that's really not my job because my job is to provide medicine. Um, but it was, yeah. it was always very frustrating. And then, you know, at one point, you know, I became saved and I'm like, when you accept that God has a plan for you and has a plan for other people and you do the best you can with the plan that God, has, uh, the, yeah, with the plan that God has set out for you, um, mm -hmm. then just work the plan, right. And be adaptable. And, and that was God's plan for other people. And what I can do from those experiences is like the people that, that should have lived or may have lived had somebody else known what to do. So that's why I'm still very passionate about teaching first aid and CPR and stop the bleed and um, the way that I teach, you know, and who I teach to. I've been very blessed that I can get into high schools and I've connected with um, health nice. science teachers in high schools because mm -hmm. that's where we need to be teaching kids. And, and I wouldn't even wait till, until high school to teach kids first aid and CPR. Um, ironically, you know, with my, my ex-wife is an ER doctor. Uh, I've been a paramedic for a long time and my kids learned CPR when they were two and three on little mannequins wow. and stuff like that. You know, like, Hey, daddy's mm -hmm. got dolls. You guys want to play with daddy's dolls. So teaching my kids CPR and, and people have asked me because we'll put people through classes, whether, you know, it's Brandon and I doing a class or my, my mm -hmm. uh, law enforcement family or other people like, do you think you could teach my kid? I'm like, sure. How old are they? They're like seven. I'm like, okay. It, the, the trick is to make it age appropriate and, um, right. And I think I've been blessed with that adaptability because I'm just as comfortable talking to seven-year-olds as I am 37-year-old doctors and 47-year-old nice. 40, police chiefs and 57-year-old mm -hmm. mayors and stuff like that. So, um, but I, I hope that everybody, you know, takes an opportunity to empower themselves to uh, learn CPR and to learn how to stop the bleed because those are the, the number one and number two causes of preventable death is if somebody goes into cardiac arrest just start doing high quality chest compressions. There's numerous um, videos out there, but just start pushing on their chest rhythmically. And if somebody's bleeding, stop the bleed. Um, there's all sorts of classes out there. 
um, mm -hmm. to, to, to do that. And to be empowered like that, um, mm -hmm. I think it makes people feel more at ease. And, and when they can help other people, they get that little warm, fuzzy feeling that I get when I see somebody learn something, you know, and that's, yeah. what, that's what, not only do I realize that this person might save my life or my, my daughter's life or my mother's life or something like that, but they get that warm and fuzzy when they get to help somebody else. So it's like paying that whole that's warm, fuzzy feeling forward. Yeah, there's nothing greater in the world than actually using your gift, your God-given talent to actually help somebody out and it be a 100% be a effective, whether you get that thank you or not, to know that, wow, I learned, I had this skill, I learned this skill and I used it to make someone else's life better. And that's more powerful than a pot of gold. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I told you the story about my dad recognizing his heart attack and it really didn't end there with... Uh, what he actually helped stop the bleed on one of his employees who injured themselves during a, an accident while at work. But the irony is when I grew up, I fell down a lot, you know, I was taking risks and chances and I got a lot uh -huh. of stitches and my dad was the guy who'd puke in the, in the trash can because he couldn't stand the sight of my blood. But when the accident happened, my dad was the one who called 911 wow. who applied direct pressure um, to this guy who was bleeding and unfortunately, mm -hmm. this guy um, had, he lost a couple of fingers because it was a table saw. Um, my mm -hmm. dad went over and picked up the fingers. And I'm like, wow, good for you, dad, right? And I, I asked him, I'm like, it's one of those gotchas, you know, for those of you who are parents or remember your parents talking to you, you're like, why did you do that? What were you thinking? I'm like, I wasn't thinking, I'm sorry. Well, I, I said, dad, what were you thinking? He's like, I wasn't thinking. I just did what you trained me to do. Then the cool thing was, I'd done the first aid and CPR class enough times for him that he didn't have to think about it, yeah. that it was no longer an emotional thing. It was just follow the steps. It became a logical, you know, de uh, detract or like dis disinvolved, disengaged kind of thing so that he wasn't caught up in the emotion of it. And I, I think that's um, why I think I, we train the way uh, we do, or at least I try and train people the way I do is to take the emotion out of it and, and make it a little um, less scary for them. It's like, just follow the recipe, right? Just first add water, then add powder, then mix it up and go from there. It's not like, don't get hung up on how much water or how warm the water has to be or where the water comes from. Just put the steps together and you'll start to see some results. I like that. It's relying on muscle memory right there. We got a comment from Shayla on here right now. She's saying your role is so critical in healthcare. Thank you for all you do. Every time I hear a helicopter coming in at my job, I know it's something serious. I appreciate it. Thanks for the support. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hold on one second. We're going to pause for the calls for a certain be safe commercial. Tune in. We'll be right back and we're going to jump right back in the interview. I'm over here counting my stash. Cooper, get out of here. Last time you got me in trouble with Be Safe. This is a good spot to sell my drugs. Sergeant Be Safe, we just got a call for suspicious activity. Copy that, dispatch. Captain Chaos and his canine Kraken along with me are just now arriving on the scene. We'll stop and check it out. 10-4, Sergeant Be Safe. Oh no, cops! I'm out of here. Release the Kraken. Hey, we see your drugs over there. Stop running, treacherous Tony. We will get you. All right. All right. All right. I give up. I won't do it again. Yeah, yeah, you say that all the time. I'm sick of going to jail. Illegal drugs are a bad decision. Just ask treacherous Tony. This isn't a good view. Take it from me, Sergeant B. Safe. I want you to make good decisions. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way.
Subscribe now. And we are back to the interview. Thank you guys for standing by. I hope you guys enjoyed that short skit of Sergeant Be Safe. Uh, if you're interested in being a voiceover, hit, hit me up at the website below and we will get your voice, your vocal talents out there. But we're jumping back in this interview. Tim, I know you, you've been your director with uh, Griffin Blue Heart and you do a lot of training. And you said you feel comfortable training anyone from seven to 57 and in between. Uh, how do you approach training and, and how often do you, do you give seminars? Do you go on location? Do people come to you? How would you go about doing a training for anything CPR or hands on related? Well, in order for training to be valuable, you know, you have to make it uh, convenient for the people. You have to make it applicable to them. Um, you know, the mm -hmm. big thing that I learned when I started working with law enforcement is they don't want to become EMTs. If they did, they would have gone that path. Right. And, you know, I make the joke about the five finger wave versus the one finger wave. Everybody wants to be the hero and the firefighter kind of thing. But um, but I understand what they want is some simple things. And they also realize that, you know, what I do for that is I'm like, hey, guys, this is not because you're going to roll fire to every little thing, but you're there first. And what are you going to do to take care of yourself? And what are you right. going to do to take care of your beat buddy or somebody else on your squad or your OIT and your FTO? Um, but for, for training to be valuable, you, you make it a, a relevant and applicable to them. And we start off, you know, when Brandon and I do some of our classes, we just try and get to know people and say, hey, why are you here? Right. Yeah. And, and because... If you're mm -hmm. here because you have to be here, all right, you might not um, learn as much as you could, but that always, uh, I, I challenge accepted, I'll make you learn something. Uh, but you can do training right. in the home, right? I mean, that's where most of your accidents are going to happen, whether uh, most cardiac arrests happen around the home, most accidents mm -hmm. happen around the home. Um, so you might as well do training in the house. Now, um, that uh, that's not the best use of my time per se, but Hey, if I have people come over and I teach them CPR because they want to, they want to learn it. So I'll come over here, we'll go over there on a day off or whatever else. Um, and what's kind of cool sometimes if they have kids that are there, even if they're younger kids, just let them do. They, they, would love, they love to mimic what mom and dad are doing or learning. So let them, don't discourage them. It might not be perfect, mm -hmm. but at least they're doing something. Um, but mm -hmm. for like larger groups, I mentioned getting into high schools and teaching CPR and stop the bleed to high schools. Um, why, why would a teenager want to learn anything from an old man like me? Well, that's always the question. So you make it relevant. And, and some of the things are like, Hey, um, you ever go out and do some things that somebody gets hurt? Yeah. Doesn't that suck waiting for somebody to show up to help out? Well, yeah. Don't you want to help your friend? Yeah. Like, Oh, all right. Well, now it's applicable and relevant to them. And of course, you know, I, I make the joke when we talk about stop the bleed, um, you know, where you might need it is from an auto accident. And I said, y'all are bad drivers. You just accept <laughs> it. Right. And you scare yeah. the heck out of me. And I want to get away before <laughs> school lets out, or at least let you guys get a head start. But like, this is you. Um, so yeah, you're going to have an accident and your friend might be in the car and they might be hurt and they might be bleeding or the person that you get into an accident with might be hurt and might be bleeding. And if you can save their life, then that lessens the, the damage of that, um, that accident long term. Right. Um, you know, I, I've had, there's been people in my lives who've, uh, you know, I, um, somebody that I know hit a pedestrian, um, mm -hmm. not intentionally pedestrian walked mm -hmm. out dark road. Um, they tried to help and you know, the, that person stayed dead, but, um, or eventually died, I guess I should say, but, um, that's, that's a crippling feeling. I'm sure it didn't happen to me, but it was a crippling feeling for this person. And, um, it's like, I don't want that to be you. Accidents are going to happen. Pedestrians get struck. Um, so why not be ready? So um, when it comes to training, you know, for law enforcement, um, it's interesting because you can usually pick out the salty old dogs and then you can usually, you know, look at the young pups. And of course you get the classroom of both. So now I have to reach both ends of the spectrum. Um, so for the OITs, they just, or like, they just want to gobble it up. And I'm like, easy, easier. You're going to get a stomach ache if I teach you too much. And right. for the, the salty old dogs, the ones who are the FTOs, et cetera, I'm like, Hey, um, maybe that was the way we used to do it, but mm -hmm. this is a newer, better way. And, and I have to impress them, you know, um, even for me, you know, when I first started teaching first aid and CPR, there were ratios of compressions and like several different ratios, whether it was you doing CPR, whether they mm -hmm. were an adult or a kid, whether there mm -hmm. were two people, 
and it was super confusing. And I think that's um, been really key for Brandon and I and for, for me in other realms is there's a lot that you can tell people, but if you strip it away and make yeah. it, like we said, uh, like an algorithm or following mm-hmm. a flow chart, um, it makes it a little bit easier. So we strip away the, some of the bad habits. We evolve and incorporate the new content. And mm-hmm. by the time we're done with our class, you know, you might have had somebody who was trained in CPR before me, but they're like, well, now I never knew why we did it this way and why we're making these changes. So, um, you know, having survived my kids being two when they say, why, why, why? Um, <laughs> if I can tell somebody why at the same time, they're more mm-hmm. inclined to accept that this new way is a better way because new isn't always better. But if I can make it new and better or new and easier for them, they're more inclined to uh, receive the message. And then, right. of course, you know, the we've talked about it, the psychomotor skill, you know, for people from the law enforcement background, it's how do we draw and get on target and that unholstering mm-hmm. and get on target and that how our life might depend upon that. Um, so right. you reinforce the, the didactic or the content with um, hands on and then. Um, you know, so you give them practice because you, you have to keep incorporating that. So um, that just a couple of different ways that I like to train people is I find out why you're there. And then yeah. I make sure that at one point I give them that little nugget or morsel that they're probably looking for. And I'll probably reach the people on their left or right at the same time. But, um, it's, you know, make it important for them. And then halfway through, how am I doing? Uh, and at the end, what else? And uh, of course, making a learning environment a safe space. I tell people um, there's no such thing as a stupid question unless you don't ask the question that comes to your mind. I said, yeah. I speak several different languages. I speak nurse. I speak doctor. I speak, <laughs> you know, cop. Um, uh-huh. And it, if I have a, a group, I'm like, I might not be speaking your exact language. So ask the question because somebody beside you probably has the same question and I'll explain it. And then I say just to make them feel more at ease and like, but there's not always a smart answer. So don't be offended if it's a dumb answer. It doesn't mean that your question was stupid. So um, I, I obviously I, I inject a lot of humor into what I do right. because, hey, nobody gets out of this life alive. So let's not take ourselves so seriously um, exactly. all the time. Right. Right. I like that. Connecting to the audience and finding ways to do it. Speaking multiple language within the same language. That, that's very interesting because I know uh, still working in the field, a lot of times we have to take um, uh, suspects or individuals to the hospital uh, for clearances before they they go to the booking center, before they go to the prison or whatever. And then by, by me going in there as a law enforcement officer, then speaking to the, the intake nurse is one thing. They're asking questions, which I don't understand, but it means something. To, we speak it to a totally different jargon, where if they would have asked it to me, I could have directly, directly answered. And then the doctor comes in and then asks their series of questions, which are the same series of questions or something very similar but it's a different style or jargon and we're just kind of going in circles until we understand what dance we're, we're doing yes i mean it's all about communication you know mm-hmm. and and um sending messages and receiving messages and then doing something with those messages so yeah commun- communication is tough right i, I mean i've I figured that out when uh, when my when i went through my divorce and mm-hmm. um you know i, I kind of realized that um yeah, at that point, it was a good thing for me to thrust myself into my work and, and be focused mm-hmm. on that because I could control my work environment a little bit. Right. Um, and obviously, um, couldn't control my, my personal life as much. Um, and, right. you know, the, the thing is, um, when, when, things, when things fail, like relationships or when projects mm-hmm. or when you have bad outcomes um, or problems within your agency, it's about two different reference points drawing a line and whether or not that line is at the level that you, that, that needs to be, that it needs to be for the situation. So like if you want to implement a new project and you don't have a good project manager, but you've got all this um, enthusiasm and the point that this project manager is below that, that par line for you. So it's like, well, find a better par line, a better reference point that, uh, so you can continue to draw your line. So it doesn't be a sloping or, uh, or a low, a low line. Um, so not to say that my, um, my ex was a low point or whatever else, but she just wasn't for the right project. Right. And I've worked on my communication and, uh, you know, trying again, I'm in a great relationship now and didn't give up hope on romance. At least, you know, it was, it was hard, but, um, you know, realizing that 
for, for those of us in the first responder world or just in your regular life, if you're going through um, mm -hmm. a divorce or relationship issues, you know, be careful how much you push into your professional life. And then remember to pull back from that because uh, I've been blessed that the woman I'm with now, she's like, Hey, I'm still here. Like you can go do those things, but you know, come pay attention to me too. And mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh yeah. And, and this is fun too. And she's in the same business, um, which, which is nice. Um, but you know, she's also been very patient and graceful with me uh, as I work through my demons and my luggage and unpack my bags and stuff like that. So um, just if I could give some advice to, to those of us who are out there, um, you know, when, when the one project fails, when the first marriage fails, then don't be opposed to finding something new and, and remember to maintain that or come back to that balance of personal life and, and professional lives. Uh, because I can see where a lot of us get committed to that. I've seen my brothers and sisters go through it and all they want to do is just work, work, work. And yeah, finances are stressful and everything else. But um, you know what? You got to pull back at some point. So um, this little bit of my own medicine at the same time, I remind myself, <laughs> hey, go do something fun. Um, don't always be teaching. Don't always be scheduling something else. You know, teach others to teach others too. And that, so. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of preaching to the choir. Those of us that are first responders, um, some of us have, have already gone through it. Uh, some may go through it. And those that haven't, I, I don't, don't want to jinx anyone. I hope everything works out in the long run. I hope that balance does happen. But like we talked uh, backstage, uh, this podcast, not this podcast, the predecessor, uh, the lab actually uh, came to fruition and started to grow based on a separation that I was going through as well and, and getting that therapy and those those feelings, those thoughts and emotions out as well uh, and learning how to communicate uh, better, more effectively that way as well, too. Uh, you're absolutely yeah. I, I make the joke because, uh, you know, we all think that we're Superman, right? But even mm -hmm. Superman has his kryptonite. Um, it and it's important that when you when you let your shield down, that you have the right people around you mm -hmm. because you can't walk around in your body armor all day. Like the, your body armor is there to protect your soft targets and the, your gooey parts. Um, but it, it limits your mobility. You know, with summertime, it's really hot. And it just gets heavy, right? At the end of the day, doesn't it feel good to take that vest off or right? at the end of the call out or, um, you know, after a, a long flight, it feels really good to take my helmet off because, you know, I'm getting shorter with, because of the NVGs, like the night vision goggles on there that we wear when we're flying. <laughs> but it feels good to take that off, but then you have, because you have to breathe and it's just important to have the right people around you. Um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, you spend a lot of time in that same group, but and you have to find that balance between being macho and being human. Uh, and, and I want all of us to understand that we're all human. We all go through bad things and it's probably better for both of us. Like if I ask a friend of mine, Hey, you doing all right? Like you guys, you had a bad call or, um, you know, how's your relationship? Um, mm -hmm. and they don't want to talk about it. And then I find out I'll start talking about it because yeah. I've got enough. I've, I've gone through some things, right. And then they start to open up and they realize, Hey, you know, I don't have to be perfect in front of him. Um, he's got my back out there. Um, uh, but I've got his back in here or vice versa. So, um, we can have each other's backs when we're off duty and maintain that confidence. And you're yeah. actually helping other people when you share your bad days. Uh, and you think about it when you, when you, take something off and you start to put it out there, it's natural for other people to put their hands out there that all of a sudden it's not as heavy when you yeah. take it off of you and you're sharing with others. So um, I encourage our, our, our friends out here to, to do the same thing. Take it off every once in a while um, and, and share it. Hey, I'm, I'm not doing okay. Oh, all right. Well then let's figure this out because you don't have to be okay. I want you to be better than okay. I want mm -hmm. you to be awesome. I want you to have great days and I want you to have a few bad days. That's what makes the great days great. So, absolutely, that's a good analogy. I like that. Superman had his kryptonite, and we wear our armor, you know, for work. We don't wear it all the time. And walking around at first, it does seem to be cool when you first get it as a first responder. You got all this armor on, and you're the toughest guy in the world. And you know, it, it feels it feels really good. But to actually, at the end of the day, the end of a bad. Uh, experience, the end of a bad call, whatever it may be, to actually download that stuff and actually do the is a great feeling yeah breathing man i mean that's essential just taking a breath and and letting it out you know I, i'm not one of those guys who meditates or does yoga or anything like that 
I, I do the heavy breathing. I'll go out and I'll, I'll exercise or I'll hike or whatever else, but mm -hmm. just reminding yourself to breathe through it. Um, you know, I think that's important and realize that, you know, we're not in this alone. I, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, we don't always have to be the, the caregiver or the sheepdog. Um, you know, it's okay to let somebody else be the sheepdog for us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to be, um, to need a little bit of help because again, when I help somebody else, they're helping me. Maybe they're taking my mind off of something that's stressing me out at the same time. Mm -hmm. So at least I can escape my own crappy situation for a little while. <laughs> so yeah. So let me ask you this, kind of taking a step back, back in um, uh, the conversation that uh, Brandon actually started when he was on here of having AEDs, um, they're more mainstream, uh, to have them in first responders vehicles um, or readily available for first responders. They're, they're um, more mainstream and having them in businesses and public places. If you go to a restaurant and an emergency happens, then normally a waiter, waitress, whatever, may be able to grab one of those. Um, it's starting to be more mainstream in house, houses as well, households to make sure that you have uh, those kind of devices. So if you have uh, uh, bleeding or heavy bleeding, what kind of equipment would you would you suggest that, that would be more mainstream as well? If someone gets a deep laceration of some sort, would you suggest uh, gauze pads, uh, tourniquets, or what, how, what would you suggest and how what kind of training would you suggest for the common person to have to utilize that set of equipment? No, that's a great question. And obviously it starts with um, learning, uh, maybe watching a video or maybe... Um, reading or listening to somebody lecture but there's no substitute for hands-on practice so right. you could you know go go find a stop the bleed class or go take a first aid class through um either your like your outreach um, activities at a hospital for your community or your fire department or your police department and if your fire department police department aren't getting involved in these um you know ha having these positive interactions with the, the public then you know, start teaching these because any police officer, any firefighter, any healthcare provider can teach stop the bleed. And it mm -hmm. takes very little training to also teach CPR. Um, but it's important that people um, learn that gloves are, are your number one benefit. Like they're so right. low profile, you might have a pair of gloves in your pocket and you can do a lot with gloves by mm -hmm. um, protecting yourself. And remember, if they're bleeding, it's their emergency. It's not your emergency unless you get their blood on you. So right. wear gloves to, to limit that. Um, and then simple things is like direct pressure. Um, you're mm -hmm. not always gonna have a cool toy uh, or you know new gadget to do something, but put your gloves on, find whatever you have that's around and apply good from direct pressure to where that bleeding is coming from. And mm -hmm. learn how to use a tourniquet. Uh, you're gonna find just like the AEDs became more popular after 1996 when they started um, pub uh, pushing public access to fibrillation because they realized CPR alone wasn't bringing people back, that people needed to be defibrillated. When they're having that negative or bad electricity uh, that's happening inside their heart, CPR does not solve that problem. It just right. sustains, it, it keeps the window open. Um, but AEDs can correct the bad electricity and allow good electricity to come back. So mm -hmm. they've been coming out into all 50 states. Um, and now what I'm starting to see is bleeding control kits, usually like commingled with AEDs. So mm. you're going to find a tourniquet, you're going to find gloves, you're going to find gauze, you're going to find bandages, you're going to find an instruction card um, mm -hmm. and start taking notice of where these uh, places are in your community, uh, in the places where you go. Um, not like cop style where we're always like checking the exits and sitting with our backs to the doors right. and watching people's hands and everything, but um, uh -huh. teach other people to be aware of that as well. Like, hey, where is your closest AED if you're going to a football game? Or is there an AED at your gym? Or is there one at your church? And if they only have an AED, ask them to get a bleeding control kit, um, which, you know, for the investment, it's 50 bucks or, or 100 bucks. It doesn't matter. What exactly. is the price of somebody's life? So um, encourage them to go through reputable vendors, through community resources to get recommendations and to have a bleeding control kit. Um, and then for, for personal protection, I, you know, a lot of my friends, we, we want to be prepared off duty because you can't turn that sheepdog off. Um, and especially when you're out with your kids, then yeah. get a bleeding control kit, you know, carry a tourniquet. You're probably carrying off duty anyways. So carry a tourniquet with your pistol. Um, if you're not carrying a pistol, then you can still carry a tourniquet, 
Um, and like, ironically, I make the joke because I've been blessed to travel internationally several times. And I always have a bleeding control kit with me in my carry-on bag. And TSA is looking at me like, oh, you've got a tourniquet, you've got a chest seal, you've got gloves, you've got gauze, you've got Narcan. Like, what is this? I'm like, accidents happen, right? So um, just be prepared. And what I don't have to do is rely upon somebody else to bring something to me because the the enemy when somebody is ill or injured is time. It's not the Mm -hmm. lack of equipment. It's time. How much time passes until they get the equipment or the intervention that they need. So if I've got it right there with me, if you have it right there with you, um, mm-hmm. you're, there's going to be a better outcome. So, but yeah, um, learn, you know, go, go practice at hospitals, uh, fire departments, police departments, look online and, you know, go buy one for you and then buy one for your, your significant other, buy one for your kids when you start driving, um, because they're probably going to be bad drivers, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, there you go. You, you remember where you heard it. You got get those uh, gauze pads, get those bandages, get those tourniquets for the, the emergency that ha- that could potentially happen, if not for you, for someone else. And Phil's comment here, very authentic and educational conversation. Thank you again for what you do. Great show. Yep. And, and Jamad's on here. Um, better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Absolutely. Very informative. You guys are absolutely correct. Thank you, guys. Amen. Yep. And give me one second. We are we got one more commercial here with Sergeant Be Safe, and we will we are gonna jump right back into it. So you guys stand by and enjoy this one too. Excuse me, madam. You're standing still in a no parking zone. If you don't get a move on that body, I'll be your ticket. Hey, it's Sergeant PC. Danger! Danger! Excuse me, ma'am. The sign says no parking. I'm not parking. I'm just running into Duncan Buck to get my coffee. You are parked. You're outside of your vehicle and you're illegally parked in a fire lane. Parking in a proper spot and taking a few extra steps is not going to make you late for work. Matter of fact, here comes the fire truck now and you're in the way. This is going to cause a problem. I may need to just have this vehicle towed so the fire department can get in here and deal with this emergency. If the sign says no parking, do as it says. Don't park there. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. It would be my fault if a tragedy happened. Thanks for not giving me a ticket, Sergeant B. Safe. Now I know for next time. Well, just consider this your warning and definitely let this be the last time. I'm Sergeant B. Safe, and it may seem minor, but it's very important. Make sure you park legally. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now. And we are jumping back into this interview. Got Tim still here. Uh, I, I got a, an, another question because I know um, whether we still have them on now or whether they're going to watch the replay. Like I told you before, that we sometimes we have um, uh, high school seniors on here. We have college students. We have uh, military that are uh, jumping in, getting in the military, or some that will be transitioning out of the military and may have a lot of questions. They may want to know. Uh, they see what you do. They hear about how exciting, how much of adrenaline rush, how emotional, the highs and lows of what you do and how it's been throughout the years. Uh, and they're looking. They want to. They want to go ahead and and, and uh, when the change of the guard happens, they want to take up the helm and move forward themselves. What kind of advice would you give those guys? Those those individuals. Oh, uh, that's always the hard one, right? I mean, obviously, you get the training. Um, take every opportunity mm-hmm. that you can. Um, stay humble. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my my path was kind of a, a non traditional one. Um, I, never went into the fire service and, and even along the way i just i was fortunate to recognize the opportunities that were in front of me and and to take those chances and um mm-hmm. kind of come out of my comfort zone for for our, our brothers and sisters in the military as you're getting out if you <clears throat> didn't do like uh, medical stuff in there you can always use your gi bill and go become an emt and see if it suits you 
-hmm. And if it doesn't, then go to a different public safety avenue uh, or realize that maybe you want to become a nurse and, and do that. So, <coughs> pardon me. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing is, find something that you're passionate about and just go for it. I mean, I wish it was right. more inspirational, but think that answers the question. Absolutely. Absolutely. So through the course of this conversation, I've learned a lot about you. I've heard, I've learned a lot about the experiences and had a lot of fun talking with you. Um, is there any question that I, I may have forgotten to ask that you wanted to touch on or through the course of conversation, something had jogged in your memory and something else that you, you would like to share with us or anything of, of the sorts? Uh, right now, the floor is yours. <coughs> Pick the worst possible time. <clears throat> lose my voice <clears throat> oh sorry about that nope no it's all right i'm, I'm recovering from shot show i'll get through it <clears throat> um no i really don't have a, uh, a a pulpit if you will um i would just feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to come on here uh, mm -hmm. I, hope I, <clears throat> I entertained a few people um you know if you guys can support uh griffith blue hot blueheart.com uh for so we can continue our nonprofit mission um <clears throat> but you know, I really didn't have an agenda coming on here. I just wanted to be uh, a part of it. And, uh, you know, if you guys have other questions, go ahead and, and type them in the chat for me so I can get a drink of water and uh, maybe answer your specific questions. Perfect. Perfect. If you guys have questions, make sure you do type them in the chat. And even if it is during the replay, I will make sure that Tim gets those questions and uh, we acknowledge those and get those uh, questions answered fully and to the best of our ability. Thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Tim, thank you for being available. I appreciate uh, you, your service, and everything you do. I appreciate the great live that you've given. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to watching you flourish in the, in the future, and, and hopefully um, we, this connection will continue to go on, and it will, we'll, we'll still see how we can both make an impact in the first responder community. Get some Thanks water. for having me, Clee. I appreciate you. <laughs> Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, great job. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we do go live weekly. We have a special guest coming in um, on the podcast next week. Make sure you guys tune in. It'll be 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe it is um, Wednesday, Wednesday next week. You know, I'm still working in the field. So therefore, um, yeah, it comes in sporadically. It's not the same day, but it will be the same time weekly. We appreciate you. We love you. Stay tuned. We got starting be safe is going to take us out and keep your questions coming in. Thank you guys for tuning in 10 four over and out. Insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Sergeant B safe here and I'm stuck in the office. I'm stuck. You want to know why? I'll be completing reports for stolen vehicles. Yeah, that's right, stolen vehicles. I tell people all the time to lock their doors and put away their valuables. However, this continues to happen. Do you know that about approximately 95% of all auto thefts can be prevented? Here, let's go for a walk and I'll show you a few examples. Example number one, you go to the store and you leave your car running. Little do you know that Chance Wilder's on the prowl. He sees your car running with the door unlocked, gets in it, and they're off! Start. Oh no! Frustrating. Let's move on to example number two. Ooh. You're at home and the car's parked for the day. But you feel safe and secure and believe this could never happen to me. And there's Rob you blind going from car to car. Uh, just got Party caught though. Poopa, be safe. Hands up. You're coming with me. Ooh. People leave their car doors unlocked and believe it or not, their keys in them. Here's video footage of someone going onto someone's driveway and entering their car and guess what? Stealing that too. Even if you don't keep your car key, don't keep your spouse's key in the vehicle either. Believe it or not, they park right beside you. So therefore, take the extra step, lock your vehicle and take your keys inside. So here's a little bit of information for you. If your car is ever stolen, and then I find it and recover it, it's usually not in the same condition that it once was. It could have been involved in a motor vehicle accident because of joyriding, or just have more dents, scratches, and damage on it. You'll get an incident report and a tow bill. 
Your insurance company may cover the towing and recovering fee, but you could also have to come out of pocket with some extra expenses. So now let's move on to example number three. Parking lots at major businesses are prime targets. Lock your doors, put valuables away, park in well-lit areas, and definitely do not, I cannot stress it any harder, leave your vehicle running in the parking lot. Because no matter how many times rob you blind and wild chance go to jail, they will always take advantage of a prime opportunity to take your valuables or steal your vehicle. Don't be an easy target. Hands up, you both are coming with me. Ooh. These are just a few examples of how you can protect yourself and be vigilant with your property. Uh. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now.